Well, good morning. All right. How is everybody? Good. That's good stuff. That's a good way to have a little band before you preach. Always. That's always nice. In church planting, we're still at that stage where our band is one person on a guitar. So it's kind of nice to come into an environment like this. I'll also say thank you um, publicly to Scott, to Jerry for having me here uh, today. It is definitely an honor to be here uh, and a joy. Scott was doing church planting uh, and planting Meadowbrook before it was cool, uh, like it is for me. And so, in all seriousness, it is, um, it's one of those things where uh, 20 years ago, there were still churches being planted, obviously. I mean, we've, we've had churches being started ever since Paul, uh, and Jesus gave the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go out. Um, and if you look across our, our nation and the world, there's 45, approximately 45,000 Southern Baptist churches. So we've been planting churches, but it's really only been probably in the last 10 years that church planting has become really getting put more and more to the forefront, which I think is critical. Um, because what we realized when we came up here to start Connect is that one church is not going to make a difference. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't try to sound like the glass is half empty kind of person, but in the sense of if you are just come, if you're wanting to reach an area the size of the Puget Sound area, four to five million people, and you want to start one church to do it, good luck. Uh, because even if you grow to the size of Mars Hill or some of these other large prominent churches here in the Northwest, and you're reaching eight or 10,000 people, big deal. There's still a huge amount of people that aren't reaching and receiving the gospel. And so for us, our vision is to be a church planting church. Uh, we, I would rather us raise up an army of, of, of tens and twenties and thirties uh, amounts of churches that are running 500 to 1,000 apiece than to run one big church of five or 6,000. Because I think you can have much more of an effectiveness in that. And so what you're talking about here today, this is it. Uh, I, I think that, that church planting is at the very heart of the gospel. And I think that church planting is at the very heart of missions because it's one thing to go overseas and to do a mission trip and to help build a house or to help dig a well or things like that. And those are very, very valuable and very, very needed. But if you really want to have a long term impact, you've got to plant a church. Am I right? Uh, because that's where that's where a foundation is going to be built that will have a spread and an impact all throughout the, the nation or the region or wherever the church has been planted. So that's all for free. I'm not going to charge for that. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew. Uh, and we are going to be looking at, uh, kind of continuing, I'm going to be picking up for Scott, a passage here in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can feel free to look up on the screen. I do because my Bible is in very small print. And this works a lot better for me. So Matthew chapter 6 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And before we begin, just to kind of set it up about what we're going to talk about, um, I think this passage, when you look at it initially, you think, well, does it really have a lot to do with missions? And I think this passage is actually a good foundation for what you're looking at this morning and the need to be giving to uh, the International Mission Board, to the North American Mission Board, to church planting, to specific churches in Russia. All of these different kind of things, I think, are going to be very well supported by what we're going to look at this morning. And so let me kind of start out by saying I am a I'm a huge fan of our country. I think we live in an incredible nation. I am. And I want to preface all this before I, I rail against it. OK, I, I think we are in an incredible country. I am very thankful to be here. I'm very thankful for so many things that we have that so many other people across this world don't. Uh, our church is a part of the Chamber of Commerce. And I was I was speaking with a, a young lady who is also in the chamber 
And she was telling me that she grew up in South America and they had dirt floors, you know, normal little house. They had to actually go down the uh, down the road a little ways to fetch water and bring it back uh, for bathing and for drinking and for washing. Uh, and so now she's living in the Seattle area and with all the comforts that we have here in the United States. And so don't get me wrong. I'm very, very grateful. I think this is an incredible country that that has so much to provide. But I also think that what is our greatest strength is also one of our biggest dangers in the sense of the American dream is a great idea. The whole idea that you can you can take be put into a situation. And if you work hard and if you work smart and if you invest your time, you can become you can lift yourself up, so to speak. And you can provide for yourself and for those that follow after you in your family. Incredible creature comforts. Right. That's a, that's kind of the essence of the American dream to work hard, to build up, to save. Um, and so that you can retire happy so that you can have a nice home, have a nice car, have nice clothes, all those different kinds of things. And that's great. The problem is it's also a curse here, I feel like, for many American Christians, because the American dream, as good as it is, can also very quickly become, in essence, um, a very big enemy to us and a very big detriment to us. Why? Because there's a lot of Christians, myself included, who struggle with the materialism that is so rampant in our country, especially here in the Northwest. We're one of the most educated cities in the nation. Uh, it costs ridiculous amounts of money to live up here. Coming from Texas, let me just say, you guys, oh my gosh, you pay way too much for your houses. Okay? Uh, you know, whenever I, we were looking to come up here, Gary Irby, who's in charge of the director of church planting, he's like, now Dale, you understand that homes up here cost between four and six hundred thousand dollars. I was like, that better be a really nice house. It's not. Uh, I actually went online to like a, you know, a little real estate broker and put in like 200,000, which in Texas would get you a great house. And I really think it's where the Unabomber lived is what I, I pulled up. I mean, it was out in the backwoods of nowhere. And I'm thinking this is we're not in Kansas anymore kind of feeling. Um, and so all of that to say our country is great and there's so much affluence. But the problem is and it's not that it's and uh, don't misunderstand me. We're not going to bash on wealthy people here this morning. That's not the intent of this passage in Matthew chapter 6. And that's not what Scripture is trying to do. But what Scripture is trying to say is, is that if, you, if your God is materialism, and if your goal in life is to be rich, happy, healthy, and wealthy, you're missing out. And in essence, you're not living wisely. And as John Piper would say, who's kind of my little hero as far as pastors go, he tells a story of, of two different types of people, one of which is a, is a middle-aged to late middle-aged couple. They've worked hard all their life. They've retired early. They've bought themselves a really nice yacht. And they're now spending their retirement just basically traveling up and down major nice coastlines, stopping in and porting at different beaches and collecting seashells. Sounds like to a lot of people that would be a really good thing to do. But then he also contrasts that with two missionaries, two ladies, who were in their late 70s, early 80s, who had been on the mission field for years and years and years together, and they were involved in a car wreck and were killed. And he asked the question, which one of these people groups or groups of people, pair of people, are wasting their life? And his answer, obviously, is it's the people that retire early and just spend all their money on themselves and have no vision, no purpose in their life. And if you want to live wisely, don't waste your life. Part of living wisely is what we're going to look at this morning is using your life the way it was meant to be used to the glory of God and not to spend it on the God of materialism. Does that make sense? So let's read Matthew chapter six together. 
We're going to start there in verse 19. And then we'll jump in and kind of break it down. And the way I, I'm not original, I'm not creative. I just like to just go through scripture. Okay. So I'm real easy to follow basically one verse after the other. So we're just going to read this and just break it down. Does that sound okay? Everybody good. Everybody smiling. You're happy because I haven't preached a long time yet. You'll get there. All right. Here we go. Matthew chapter 19 or six verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to study your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time as we as we open up your word. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would uh, challenge us with your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be open to what you're saying to us and be responsive to it. God, may anything I say that doesn't bring glory to you just be forgotten. And Lord, may you just burn in the truth of your word into our hearts and minds. For it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's kind of break this passage down. Matthew chapter six, starting there in verse 19. Jesus starts out by saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the. A thief can break in and steal. Instead, you should lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there is not going to be any kind of rust or destruction or moss eating stuff. And there's not going to be anybody breaking in and stealing. So what does he mean here? He's saying here that you are not to live your life in such a way that you are just totally earthly minded. In other words, by the idea of taking your laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, it's pretty simple. He's saying here, don't do it. Why? Because treasures on earth. What he's trying to communicate then, just as much as he is now, is that treasures here on earth don't last. What happens to them? To the, to the hearers back then, 2,000 years ago, the precious metals, the gold, the nice garments, all the things that they could accumulate, eventually they're going to rust, they're going to break down, they're going to decompose, and they're going to go away. Or... God forbid, somebody's going to break into your home or to your office or wherever the case may be and steal it. Now, the same thing applies to today. Jesus would say to us 2000 years later, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why? Because it's going to go away, isn't it? And we all know uh, if you if you unless you've been in a, you know, a cave somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you're aware that financial treasures here on earth can go like that. Right. Uh, September 2008. Everything was humming along. Everybody was happy. Uh, I just bought a house. And now all of a sudden what happens? The bottom falls out of it. The house I'm paying for is not worth as much as I'm paying for it. Okay, and I got off lucky because there are countless people whose investments that they've been saving and saving and saving and saving for years is gone in the blink of an eye. And so we know more than anybody right now in the United States how quickly things can totally turn around. And how if we lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, they can be gone in a minute. Not just in the financial, but if maybe your treasure is that car that you've always wanted and that you finally buy. And then it's so pretty and it's got the exact wheels and the the paint job and the sound system and everything that you want in it. You don't have to drive around long here in the Seattle area to know that not everybody drives the same way you do. (laughs) 
and that can be gone in a minute in a, in a car wreck. Or maybe if it's your house, you work all your life, you buy this nice, big, overpriced house. And what happens? Uh, electrical fire. Somebody leaves a candle burning and boom, it's gone. Maybe you work hard all your life and you get the job that you finally want. Well, then, uh oh, you find out that the, the higher ups were mismanaging money and your company's bankrupt and you're gone, too. It's a reminder that our treasures here on earth and Jesus is saying, don't put your treasures here on earth. Why? Because they can be gone in a second. And ultimately, here's the here's the real sobering news. Even if none of that happens, even if your 401k stays intact, your house, your car, everything goes well, you're still going to die. Got that? I mean, it's the old saying. Anybody ever pull over to the side of a road for a funeral procession going by and there's a big U-Haul truck in that? Anybody ever seen that? No. There's a reason. That's an old cheesy joke, and I love it because people in the Northwest haven't heard all the Southeastern jokes. So I can just tell them all over again, right? But it's true in the sense of we don't, we can't take it with us. When you die, all of your stuff gets left to your kids who are going to spend it the way you wouldn't want them to, right? And all the stuff that you worked so hard for is gone. And so Jesus is saying, why are you wasting your time storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth when it's not going to last? Either it's going to go away while you're in front of your eyes or you're going to leave it behind. And so he says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because they don't go away. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There is no economic downturn. Okay, the Great Depression of 1929 didn't happen in heaven. It didn't freak God out. He wasn't sitting there going, "Uh oh, our stock is going down because the U.S. stock is going down. It doesn't happen. You don't have people breaking in in heaven and trying to steal your stuff. You don't have decay or or anything like that. Why? Because heaven is eternal and God is there and there's no more sin. There's no more sorrow. There's no more loss. There's no more heartbreak. And so as a result, Jesus is saying, don't store up treasure here on earth. Put it in a very, 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 very secure Not much more secure than even a bond. Put it in a very secure place that you can know it's not going to go away. And that you can know when you do die, you can't, you can't, you're not taking it with you. It's already there to meet you. And so in essence, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Put it in heaven. But what does it mean to lay up a treasure here, not on earth, but in heaven? What does that mean? I think if you, if you flip it around... I think that's probably the most basic meaning of this passage. To lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven is basically to do the opposite, maybe, of what you would do here on earth. And I'm not saying go crazy and spend all your money and sell everything you have and go live under a bridge. But I am saying maybe God is calling you in the essence of laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven to give away more of your finances and more of your resources, more of your time, more of your energy to the work and to the service of the church. I think that's the essence of what Jesus is getting at here. And maybe God is calling you that some of you are able to make a lot of money. And so as a result, you're able to use that money to bless other people. Because here's the thing. Churches aren't going to get planted without people to fund them. Missionaries are not going to be able to go overseas without people to fund them. And the gospel is not going to be able to be spread unless God's people realize that it's not their money. It's his. And we need to release it and put it into effect and into work. Does that make sense? I know now why Scott brought me in because I'm preaching on money. Okay. Um, And but this is the hard truth. And I love doing this because I can say this and you can hate me and I can go home. Okay. (laughs) 
So, but this is the reality, I think, of what Jesus is getting at here. For us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven means that we need to give God back our pocketbook. And we need to say, God, this is your money. You just given it to me to borrow and to be a steward of for a few years uh, here on earth. And so now I need to let you be still sovereign and king over it all. But I think laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven also goes beyond that. I think it involves, like I said, our time, our service in the church. You want to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Get busy here on earth in Jesus' name doing things for his glory and for his kingdom. Serve in the life of the church. Share your faith with other people. One good way to store up treasures in heaven is to share the gospel with somebody, to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then to meet them in heaven. That's a good treasure. Would you agree? I think it's even simple things. Love your kids. Spend time with them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as the church is to Christ. Those kind of family relationship things, I think, honor God. Being honest in your work ethic and your study habits and all those things, I think all of that lays up for us treasures in heaven. So, let's go on. I can stay there all day, but we shan't. Verse 21, and this is a good, this is a kind of the continuation of the theme. Jesus says here, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. What does he mean there? In other words, whatever you value in life, your affections, your passion, your goal, your vision, your drive is going to follow after that. Logic, right? It's very simple stuff, but very profound and very true. In the sense of Jesus is saying, look, if you treasure things of this earth, you're going to be driven and follow and pursue that with everything you've got. So if you value and treasure material things, what are you going to do? You're going to live your life in such a way that you are going to obtain as much of that stuff that you want as you possibly can. You're going to structure your life. You're going to get an education that will allow you to better equip your, or to, would better equip you to go and to live life and to pursue the things you want to pursue. You're going to manage your time so that you can have the most time to fulfill your goals, to gain more material wealth or possessions or whatever you want to put in the blank there. You're going to even be willing to sacrifice to obtain your goals. And here's the key thing. If you're sacrificing for something you really, really want, it's really not all that much of a sacrifice, is it? And in essence, what you're doing, and Jesus is saying here, is wherever your treasure is, that's where you're going to be following after. And that's what you're going to be pursuing with everything you've got. And if it's material things, you'll sacrifice, you'll, you'll step on people's heads to climb up the ladder, you'll do whatever it takes to fulfill your goal and to pursue your wealth. But here's a really, really sad truth. You ready for this? There's a lot of people out there that are pursuing and living for material things and their heart is desiring those things. But the sad reality is what they're pursuing is total garbage. Because again, just like Jesus just said, if you're living your life in such a way that you are trying to store up for yourselves treasures on earth and your heart is following after that desire and you're living your entire life just to be rich, happy, healthy and wealthy, if you're doing that, you're a fool and you're living unwisely and you are absolutely wasting your life. Why? Because your entire life is being lived for something that's going to burn up eventually and that you can't take with you. Is that smart? You tell me. But that's in essence what Jesus is saying here is that wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to go after it. And if your treasure is here on earth, your heart's going to follow after that and you're going to structure your entire life to get it. But... 
what Jesus is basically arguing for here. If your treasure is Jesus, if your treasure is, is Christ and knowing him, what are you going to do? You're going to structure your entire life so that you can know God. Because if God is your treasure, if God is what you want, if God is what will satisfy you, you're going to structure your time. You're going to structure your education, your knowledge of him. You're going to structure everything around your life to know God better. And the cool thing is, and here's the thing. Let me just a little side note. Anybody ever hear a missionary story? We've all heard of some missionary in some other country. And we always have. What's the what's the feeling that goes through our head? The first thought is, God, please don't call me there. Okay. The second is, wow, we have all this respect and awe and admiration of that person because they're they're sacrificing so much. Right. Let me let you in on a little insight. It's not to them. I've yet to meet a missionary that goes, man, I, I got the short straw and God sent me to South Africa or God sent me to Asia or God sent me to India. I've never heard a missionary say that. Why? Because they want to know Christ and they want to make him known. And so they're going to position and posture their life in every way possible. And they're even willing to sacrifice to know him better and to make him known. But it's not a sacrifice if it's your treasure. And for some of you, Christianity may be one of those things that it's hard and difficult to do. And you feel like you're having to sacrifice a whole lot. Maybe it's because Jesus isn't your real treasure. And we'll talk about that more in a second. So let's move on. Verse 22, this is going to Jesus is going to kind of continue the whole little the, the theme here. Uh, and it just kind of continues to flow, basically, in which he's going. He's saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth, lay them up in heaven. And then he reminds us that wherever our treasure is, there our heart is also. But now he's going to kind of show the effects, because if you are pursuing material things, what's going to happen? You're basically your heart's going to follow after that. And there's going to be an effect and a ripple effect of that. But if you're pursuing Jesus Christ and you're seeking to know him, there's going to be a ripple effect. And this is what he gets at. He says the eye is the lamp of the body there in verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's the thing. For the sake of time, we'll kind of get through this kind of quick. In essence, what Jesus is saying here is your, lot, your eyes are kind of the, the, the entry port into your whole body. And if you look at and see and surround yourself with bad things, it's going to have an effect on your whole life. And if you surround yourself with good things and if your eyes are seeing things that glorify God, it's going to have a good effect on your life. And so what Jesus is saying is he's just now said that your heart. Wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to go after it. He's basically linking these two things together. And he's saying wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to follow that. And wherever your heart goes, your whole body is going to go. Your whole life is going to be lived that way. What he's basically saying here is you cannot compartmentalize your life. You cannot say, I'm going to go over here, be a wealthy person and seek after material finances and wealth. And over here, I'm going to be the good little Christian guy. And over here, I'm going to be a family guy. And over here, I'm going to be a good whatever. It doesn't work that way. Everything affects everything else. You cannot be a separately a dad, separately a husband, separately an office worker, and separately a person in the community. They all relate to each other. And what Jesus is saying here is, you better be careful. 
Because whatever your eyes are seeing and whatever your heart is going after will have a ripple effect throughout your body. Classic example. How many of us have heard story after story after story of Mr. Moneybags or Mrs. Moneybags who seeks after material wealth and their family totally falls apart? The, 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 the marriage is strained because dad or mom is never home. The kids suffer because dad or mom is never home. And that family falls apart. Why? Because if your heart is going after something, it's going to have a ripple effect on everything else. And that applies for pastors, too. Back in the 50s, the old statement, and Mark Driscoll's really hammering on this a lot lately. The, the old statement was, if you take care of the church, God will take care of your family. That's utter rubbish. And there's a lot of ministers, previous coming before me... And before Scott, that sacrifice a whole lot of stuff, including their family. And I would even argue their vision really wasn't Jesus. It was about building their own kingdom. Because I do believe that if your vision is Jesus Christ, and here's the point, what, uh, what Jesus is getting at here in these two verses, that if your focus is on Christ, and if you desire to know him, it's going to have a ripple effect in everything else you do as well. If your goal is to know Jesus and to make him known, it's going to affect how you treat your spouse. It's going to affect how you treat your kids. It's going to affect how you work at the office. It's going to affect how you drive. That's stepping on toes, right? It's going to affect how you give and what you do with your money. It's going to affect how you serve. If your goal is to know God and to make him known, it has a ripple effect over all of your life. And the simple truth of what Jesus is getting at here is it all comes back to where is your treasure Figure out if you're living for there or here, because your heart's going to follow after that. And if your heart goes after it, everything else in your life is going to follow suit. Makes sense? Last couple verses here. Verse 24. Jesus says, nobody can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. What is he saying here? Jesus is basically drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying, choose. Because there's a lot of Christians that think they can be good materialistic Christians. And it does not work. It just won't work. The word master here is, and a lot of times we look at this and say, well, I'm just having, I have two different jobs. Over here is my part-time job of making money. Over here is my part-time job of being a good Christian. And, you know, it's cool. A lot of people work two jobs, right? No. It's not what Jesus is getting at here. Whenever he says master, it's the idea of, of kind of a, an owner and a slave. And that master owns you completely and demands all of your time, all of your energy, all of your resources. And you can't have two of those. It just will not work. And Jesus is in essence saying, look, you have to either choose me or you choose money. But you can't serve us both. Because at some point, if you try to, you're going to end up hating one or the other. And most often, what happens God gets pushed out to the side over and over and over again to where he's totally marginalized. And maybe it's not this vitriolic anger and hate, but it's an anger. It's a hate of neglect. And you begin to structure your life more and more and more if you try to serve both to where money is your God. Paul actually echoes the same thing in first Timothy. Uh, you don't have to turn over there. You can just look up here on the screen. Paul says in first Timothy six verses nine and ten. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge men or plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs or pangs, as the ESV says here. The idea is this, is that if, if money is what you want, and if that's what you crave and desire, this is what you can look forward to. You're slowly going to be led away, as Paul says here. And this must have broken his heart. I'm imagining he's thinking of guys that maybe he started out in the gospel with and preaching and starting churches and spreading the gospel and to see them one by one succumb to the temptations to be wealthy and to be rich and to see them become more concerned about what they have or don't have than they are about who knows Jesus Christ or not. And what you see going on here is is Jesus and Paul are both saying this. You can't serve God and money. You're going to end up choosing. And you have to declare your allegiance to one or the other. Again, this is not saying you can't be rich. Don't misunderstand me. It is not saying that. There were wealthy people in Scripture. There are wealthy, godly, godly, godly people today that I know of. It's not saying you can't be rich, but it's saying who is your God? And are are you going to make money your master and then you kind of give the leftovers to God? Or is God your supreme king? And if he calls you to give it away, you're willing to do it. That's, in essence, what's going on here. And let me just kind of paint it out and and give you a little bit of a reminder. Money is a really cruel master. If you want it to be your master, understand it's unforgiving, it's mean, it, it, it won't guarantee you anything, and it will not satisfy you. It'll leave you wanting more and more and more. Do you ever know a rich person that ever gets to the point where they're like, Ah, I got enough money. I don't want any more raises. No. My boss offered me a 10% raise. I said, you know what? I got enough. Keep it. You ever met a person like that? No. Why? Because it's unsatisfying. With God, it's a totally different thing. You have a, a God that will never fail you. He will never leave you. He'll never leave you wanting. And he will satisfy you completely in a relationship with him. Period. So which of those masters do you want to serve? So let's kind of wrap it up and then we're done. Just a couple little statements and kind of questions, and then we'll turn it over to Scott. And this is the key thing I want you to understand, that all of this hangs on. All of the idea of living wisely, not wasting your life, all of this comes down to this very simple truth. And this is kind of John Piper 101, Jonathan Edwards 101, Apostle Paul, Old Testament Scripture 101. Only God can satisfy. What does that mean? I don't mean that only God can satisfy you with a bunch of stuff. But God can satisfy you with a relationship with himself. Only God can do that. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that I love to use as often as I can because it nails it on the head. In a sermon that he wrote called The Weight of Glory, he says that we are far too easily pleased. He says we are like children who would rather go ahead and go into the slums and play with mud pies in the dirt and in the mud and in the trash because we cannot imagine what a holiday at the beach would be like. You get that? In other words, we're like little children and don't please don't bash me on this. OK, you ready? Seattle is probably the and Washington is probably the most beautiful state I've ever been in. But we got to work on the beaches. OK, <laughs> rocks and seaweed do not a good beach make. OK, unless you're my five year old daughter. Now, my five-year-old loves going to the beach because there's the ocean and she doesn't really notice the seaweed, I guess, as much. That's just drying there and the algae and the and all the dead shells and the rocks. But she loves it because she can get dirty and muddy and sheets. This is it's fantastic to her. But daddy has been to the beaches 
in Florida and Alabama along the Gulf Coast that are just, the water is crystal clear and the sand is just as fine as you can imagine. And there's actually a sun up in the sky and it's amazing. <laughs> and so I go to a Washington State beach and I think, well, that's cool because that's the Pacific. Well, actually, it's the sound, but imagine with me. Uh, you, you, go, you go and you see the water that leads to the Pacific, right? And so you're able to go there and you're like, wow, this is really cool and this is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I'm thinking, if you want to go to a beach, you, know to go, you need to go to like Destin, Florida. Or down along the Mexican coastline or someplace like that. Some of you are nodding like, amen, all right? That's where you need to go to experience a beach. And here's our problem. Is that a lot of us are following after materialism because we're like that little kid, that little five-year-old who doesn't know any better. And we don't realize that there is a God that is so much more infinitely better and satisfying out there. And we're content to follow after our little God, little G God, because we don't know what the real God is like. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because it so outweighs anything this world has to offer. A couple more questions and then we're done. The first one is this. Who is your master? In the sense of Jesus is asking that at the end, you can only serve one master. And my question to you would be, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your master? Have, has there been a time in your life where you've understood and you accept the gospel and you believe and you're living that out now? But then I would also ask us all, regardless of where you are on a daily basis, are you doing this? Because we all know that you can accept Christ early on in your life, but this is still a struggle. You're always going to be pulled back and forth and tempted to go after old things. And that, I think, is what this passage is getting at, both to the non-Christian and to the believer of 50 years. Is Jesus Christ your master? Next thing is, where is your treasure? Just as Jesus was hinting at there earlier. And by the way, I do know how to number. One, two, one is not the correct order, but roll with me on this. Is Jesus your treasure in the sense of, is he what you value? Are you looking to him for your satisfaction? Not the things of this world, but a relationship with God. Do you treasure him? Do you value him more than anything else this world has to offer? The next thing is, where's your hope? And Paul actually talks about this in 1 Timothy 6, just a few verses later. He says to the, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, instruct the rich not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God. Now, hope was the big, you know, challenge of the presidential campaign. But here's the bottom line. Hope, if it's in earthly riches, if it's in a president, if it's in an economic system, if it's in anything, will fail you. Period. But God doesn't. And if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then all this other stuff just kind of falls into place and doesn't look as important. Lastly, how can you share all this with others? I think is the biggest question uh, that we need to think about. Because this isn't something you just walk up to somebody and be like, hey, how much money are you giving to the church? Right. That's not a kind of topic, conversational icebreaker kind of question. But, you know, the way I think you share this with others is your lifestyle, because if people see you and they know how much money you make. But they know that that's not what you're about in your lifestyle and in your actions. I think that speaks volumes to other people. And I think we do need to have the boldness to say that my God is not just a God that I worship on Sunday, but I worship him with my checkbook. I worship him with my time and my service in the church. And I worship him in all these other areas. 
And you share best, I think, by living it out before people and asking God for the opportunities to make it vocal and to teach other people what's going on in your heart and in your life. But again, one of the best ways to share this with others is to be obedient with your finances so that other people that God has called specifically can go out and share it with other people as well while you're sharing with the people in your immediate context. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word this morning. And God, it is so convicting and so challenging. God, it's easy to be reminded that we have you have given us a lot. Even the poorest person in this room can still like, live like a king in other countries. And Jesus, we pray that you would help us to understand what you're calling us to do. God, that you would help us to be obedient with our money, with our time, with our energy, with our resources. And God, help us not to be distracted or led astray by stuff. God, it's everywhere. It's in the radio. It's on TV. It's on the Internet. Everyone around us is consumed with material things. Lord, help us not to be that. Help us to become immune to that. And help us to live our lives in such a way that we desire you and you alone. Because God, just as the psalmist says, you're the only one that can satisfy. God, you're the only one that can fill our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. That we would be satisfied in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.